Throughout the hurricane, the remediation, and the rebuilding, Anne McGittigan kept a diary, annotating important daily events. Here's what she wrote on Saturday, August 26, 2017, the day after Harvey made landfall. Quote, Hurricane Harvey dumping rain on Houston and Kingwood and flooding the area. My daughter and I moved photo albums and other important items upstairs as flooding predicted in our area. Hurricane Harvey moving slowly through Houston area. Tim and Nina, my son, and his wife's condo flooded with about four feet of water. Water is continuing to rise. Kingwood College is flooded as well as most of Kingwood in Houston area. End quote. Over the next three days, Anne wrote in her diary about how the George Bush Intercontinental Houston Airport, where her husband works at United Airlines and Interstate 59, flooded, and how, as the water continued to rise, the Cajun Navy from Louisiana came to Houston and Kingwood to rescue people off of their roofs. Then, as rain continued to pour down, she lost power at her home and switched on her emergency generator. This is Patron Driven, crowdsourced library stories where the personal and professional meet. I'm Bill Mickey. And I'm Mark Dirks. We work for Choice, a publishing unit of the Association of College and Research Libraries, a division of the American Library Association. This season, we investigate how the Lone Star College Kingwood Library recovered from extensive flood damage brought on by Hurricane Harvey. In episode one, we introduced you to Anne, Allison, Jennifer, and Mika four library staff at the Lone Star College Kingwood campus. And you also learned about the library itself, the library staff's home away from home, an essential, if dated and kind of worn out, campus destination. This is episode two, The Deluge. Now, you'll hear about what happened when Harvey made landfall on the Texas coastline and then crept up and parked itself over Houston and the surrounding suburbs, including Kingwood. You'll learn how the pre-storm early dismissal gave way to the horror and chaos of the flooding, how Harvey wrecked the campus, and how the four library staff experienced the storm and then reunited and began to piece their personal and professional lives back together. Part 1. The Initial Destruction Remember how in the last episode, Anne, Allison, Jennifer, and Mika wanted to make sure that the refrigerator was empty? How Anne decided to leave behind the cash in the cash drawer and her flash drive backed up with important files? Most of us are hardwired to never expect the worst. But it's when the worst happens that the best in us emerges. As we all know, Harvey did not play around. Its impact was devastating. And yet, In its aftermath, the four library staffers were determined to find a way to get back to work, to reboot their library, and to provide desperately needed services and programs to their community. But first, we need to talk about what got them there. While storm trackers predicted Harvey's transformation into a major hurricane, they were increasingly worried about what it would do after it made its way inland. They knew the storm's momentum would stall out, causing it to hover over the Houston area for days. For those of you who don't live in Texas but were following the progress of the storm, this is probably the part that you remember. The sustained torrential rainfall that caused historic flooding across the region. Normally, as hurricanes progress inland, their devastating power begins to decline. 
But as we've seen so far, Harvey's behavior was anything but normal. From its humble, dry birth, Harvey progressed to a merely generic tropical wave nine. Then it almost dispersed, performing a supreme fake-out before in the span of two weeks ramping up to a major hurricane and slamming into the Texas coastline. And yet it had one more deadly card up its sleeve. Harvey moved inland, tapped the brakes, and sat there, a tropical storm pouring down rain for another five days before finally moving off to Louisiana on August 30th. Most of Kingwood is in Harris County, and according to the final Hurricane Harvey report released June 4, 2018 from the Harris County Flood Control District, the rain, which started in earnest on August 26th, was severe. By August 30th, an average of almost 34 inches of rain fell across Harris County, an estimated 1 trillion gallons of water. That's enough to submerge the entire county in nearly three feet of stormwater. Harvey produced almost as much rainfall in a few days as the county gets in a year. You'll recall the water rescues, many performed by civilian fleets like the famous Cajun Navy that Anne mentioned in her diary. According to Harris County's flood report, tens of thousands of residents were evacuated this way. In fact, Jennifer's husband, who works at a chemical plant and is on the emergency response team, was called away to perform boat rescues. The Harris County Flood Control District report described the San Jacinto River system's rise as catastrophic. Meanwhile, the water level at Lake Conroe, which covers 32 square miles, rapidly rose and caused the San Jacinto River Authority to nervously eye its dam. The lake's normal level is 201 feet above sea level. Reservoir operators actually have about six feet of buffer, up to 207 feet above sea level, to play with before things get serious. Well, Harvey made things serious. During the storm, almost one million gallons of water flowed into Lake Conroe every second. The inflow caused the reservoir to rise within a foot of the maximum level that requires operational protocol to kick in and raise the dam spillway gates. On August 28th, at around 2 in the morning, the San Jacinto River Authority had seen enough. All that water needed to go somewhere, so they raised the gates. At its peak, the dam released almost 600,000 gallons per second into the San Jacinto River. Think of it this way. The dam released water at a flow rate close to the average annual flow rate of Niagara Falls. The dam is an 11,000-foot-long earthen embankment that walls off the southern end of the reservoir. There are five spillway gates slotted into five concrete channels positioned at the center of the dam. Each gate is 40 feet wide and 30 feet tall and can be raised about 20 feet when fully open. The highest gate opening in history was 14 feet during Hurricane Harvey. And if that wasn't enough, three other watersheds, Spring Creek, Cypress Creek, and Lake Creek, were also pouring into the West Fork of the San Jacinto, adding another 1.2 million gallons of water flow. You can probably guess where we're going with this. A mile away from the Kingwood campus, the West Fork jumped its banks, and then, because of course, anything that could go wrong did, it swamped a nearby sewage treatment plant before sliding right into Lone Star College Kingwood and flooding six of the nine buildings on campus with contaminated water, all during in-service a week before the start of classes. Only the administration building, the student conference center, and the music instructional building avoided any damage. 
the library was totaled. Part two, closer to home. If Anne, Allison, Mika, and Jennifer had a common experience during the storm, it was that they were each largely spared of any major loss. Nevertheless, their orderly dismissal from work that afternoon quickly transformed into horror and disbelief as they returned home and witnessed the havoc playing out all around them. I think one of the lasting memories I have from that time was um, our campus is close to um, San Jacinto River, and there's a bridge that covers or goes across it, and it's our 59 freeway, or 69. And um, there were videos that we found on Facebook where you're actually watching these huge, enormous concrete pillars being brushed off the bridge and moved from the, the north end all the way down to the south end. So there were no barriers. It was It was a sight to see. And then you were able to watch it because in that time, I never lost power in my own home. I never lost power. I never had um, any standing water in my street at all. So I'm watching all of my community around me getting flooded. Despite losing power, Anne ended up escaping the worst of it. She was able to take in her son, Tim, who, along with his neighbors, gradually retreated to higher floors of his condo unit until he finally had to evacuate to his mother's house. Well, I was actually very lucky. I was on a street that did not flood, so I was very lucky. However, uh, further, uh, would you say down Kingwood? Uh, the closer they were to the river, the worse it was. Meanwhile, Allison, who lives in Kingwood, was also lucky enough to live in a home perched above flood levels. And I could walk to where people were evacuating because their homes were being flooded. I could see the water rising uh, down one of the streets within walking distance. Our house is kind of higher than most in that area, so we were not flooded. Um, But there got to be a point when our power did go out and the river was still rising, so we began to get concerned. Jennifer was safe, too. I'm going to be completely honest. I feel really guilty because I never lost anything. We didn't even have standing water on our street. But she didn't remain idle for long. But then when I walked to the end of my street, my son's high school baseball coach was loading his boat on the street behind mine to go rescue people in the back of my neighborhood that's connected to the lake. So that, to me, was just really surreal. So... um, husband actually he worked at a chemical plant um, on the port of Houston and he was called out and he was gone for days he was called out on their he's on their emergency response team so he was um, going by boat and, and rescuing people while his wife you know and his son is at home and then um, I don't know it was just it was just worrying about everyone you know um, except for us while we watched it all on TV so I had to go and do something. So I did. I went to North Harris as soon as we were able to um, drive. I did. I went to North Harris and I volunteered there. I just have to keep myself busy. Otherwise, I'll go stir crazy. Jennifer also found ways that she could help others after the aftermath. 
Yeah. He um, went to North Harris to help with collecting items. And then she found a community to the south of her that no one had discovered yet that needed supplies and asked us to donate things for them. Mika's home was okay too, but surrounded. I lived by myself with my dogs. And so my neighborhood didn't flood, but the entrances to my neighborhood did. Um, And I have a small car compared to everybody else in my neighborhood who drives trucks. So I was pretty landlocked. Um, So I kind of hunkered down at home. Uh, Eventually, oh, I actually locked myself out of the house at one point. (laughs) Yeah, Um, we had a clearing, and so I decided to walk my dog around the neighborhood, and that was really nice. And then I get home and realize that my my emergency key, where I usually keep it, I brought it inside due to the weather. And um, so I got to know my neighbors a little bit more and they helped me pry open my back door and get back in. And uh, so that was kind of an interesting experience and they got me hooked up with the neighborhood Facebook page and through there somebody posted that they had found kittens in their front planter. Those kittens ended up playing a bigger role in all of this, but more on that later. Back on campus, Lone Star College Kingwood was in the midst of a full-blown emergency the week classes were set to begin. The administration quickly determined that instruction needed to be delayed until September 25th, allowing the school time to devise a plan to divert some face-to-face classes to the surviving campus buildings and most others to an online format. This was easier said than done. Most of the campus was underwater. Space was at a premium. Meanwhile, as Jennifer, Mika, Allison, and Anne were at home, safe from the storm, they began to shift concerns beyond their immediate surroundings and toward work. Someone started a group text among library staff. The library director fed campus communications and directives down the line to Anne, Mika, Jennifer, and the others who worked at the library. Dr. Catherine Person, the Lone Star College Kingwood president, emailed campus staff to keep them informed about the restoration process and to start planning the hybrid and online learning system. There was a concerted effort to keep campus staff employed. Our administration here on our campus, they worked really hard to find ways to keep the campus going. Yeah. Um, So in that time, between Harvey hitting and um, when we probably got the first details, our administration had already met and we're trying to come up with how to keep everything going, how to keep jobs for people. Uh, They really worked hard. The president made a special point of saying that no employees would be laid off as a result of Harvey. So overnight, even the instructors who were face-to-face, they were taught how to teach online if they didn't already. So wow. we, we completely turned into an online uh, classes 
which is still amazing. I think Mika has the numbers on how many students continue, even though they were going to go face to face, they converted themselves to online to continue to go to Kingwood College. Yeah. Even the part-timers, if they still wanted a job, we found areas where they could continue working. Part three, reuniting. Just over a week after the storm hit, Dr. Person convened a campus-wide meeting. It was held at the First Presbyterian Church of Kingwood, the same church that would later become one of the buildings to host off-campus instruction. And it was there that we got to see pictures, the first pictures of all the buildings and the damage. The church is a big one, but its parking lot couldn't accommodate all the cars the Lone Star College Kingwood employees needed to park. So... They turned on open side streets and parked in front of houses, filling all the spaces they could find. Inside the building, the scene was chaotic. It was so packed, I couldn't even get in. I had to sit, I had to stand on the outside. The First Presbyterian Church of Kingwood Sanctuary seats around 800 people. Even so, there weren't enough seats for everyone. Bodies crowded around the door, leading out to the foyer. The din of all these people meeting for the first time after some of them had lost homes or cars or after seeing their neighbors' houses flooded. Just the very sound of all those voices was an enormous thing. At the front of the sanctuary stood a brilliantly polished stage of reddish wood. When Dr. Person took the pulpit, she looked small. The wooden podium wrapped around her, and behind her, a stained-glass cross set in an azure background soared at least 20 feet in the air. Silver organ pipes crowded together on either side of the stained glass, looking like huddled soldiers of differing heights and girths, each one in its place, but uncertain, in the way soldiers always are when waiting for news. Thanks to their cell phones, Anne, Jennifer, Mika, and Allison all found their colleagues and each other quickly. I think I was sort of not quite sure what to expect, but knowing that, based on the news and the few bits of information we already had, a little concerned about what we were going to hear. I remember, I mean, I know a lot of people across the campus, not just faculty, but employees. And so it was just, I remember just being concerned and wondering if everybody was okay. And so we were all talking about our Harvey experience and whether or not our houses were flooded or, you know, if I had a, a friend and colleague who she had to be picked up by a bus or something like that and then had to be relocated from one space to another because everything was flooding around her. And so she was really traumatized by that. It was just hearing everybody's experiences and um, kind of preparing each other for what we think was going to happen in the meeting. I actually was more impacted by the people who weren't there because their vehicle had flooded or they were in a situation where they just couldn't get there because they themselves had to deal with what was going on personally, uh, whether their family was flooded and they had to, you know, watch the kids. Uh, it, was, it was, we didn't know about those employees and would they even make it back 
Even after witnessing the flooding around their neighborhoods, on television, and talking with their friends, family, and colleagues, the library team was still astonished by the extent of the flooding at the Lone Star College Kingwood campus. The administration flipped through picture after picture of the damage, and a sense of unreality settled over them. We, I mean, we'd all kind of heard through the grapevine or seen photos or whatever through Facebook. So a lot of us kind of had a, a, an idea about what we were going to be facing, but none of us really knew the extent of the damage due to the sewage issues that we had. So that kind of added another level of um, shock to it all and really kind of set in place that we're not going home or work home um, anytime soon. We were kind of all sort of like dandelions scattered in the wind, really, after that. What do you mean by that? Well, you know how you pick up one of those dandelions and you blow out on them and all the little seeds fly off all over the place and you yeah. have no control over it? Yeah. That sort of sense of, like, our community just kind of bursted away from this central hub. Um, that was our campus. When Mika describes her community bursting away from a central hub, I can understand what she means, albeit in a different context. As we recorded these episodes, our own office was dispersed during the COVID-19 pandemic, obligated to work from home like so many others. In some ways, we experienced similar feelings of dislocation. I miss the camaraderie of my coworkers, the intense face-to-face -face strategy sessions, the goofy pictures of my kids on my desk. Our jobs, for the most part, give us a sense of purpose. They provide structure, routine, friendship, and certainly for the librarians, a mission. So much of that depends on a physical location. For the folks on the Kingwood campus, all of that was suddenly gone. Among an archive of photographs, videos, and notes sent to us by the Kingwood team, images of the library taken right after the storm reveal a grim scene. In one, the entire courtyard outside of the library is submerged in brown water that rises several feet up the wall of ground floor windows. Inside is a dark, waterlogged, abandoned space Water covers the floor behind the circulation desk. You can see soaked books, file folders, and office supplies strewn about. Chairs are overturned. In the library's main study area, the wood veneer on the rows of workstations topped with Hewlett-Packard computer monitors and keyboards is water-stained to a ghostly gray. On a computer monitor sitting on one of those tables, you can actually see the water line several inches up the face of the monitor. Flecks of sediment and dirt are still stuck to it. On another workstation, a restaurant-style ring-clip table card holder somehow remains upright. Tucked into a clip is an instructional sign titled, How to Print. At one point, it must have been just before the restoration started, someone recorded a video of water flowing out of an open doorway. You can hear the person say, this is the water coming out of the library, as she records a persistent flow of brownish water gurgling like a creek right past the doorway. You can see formless blobs quickly floating by as the water exits the building. This is the water coming out of the library. You can see it flowing. Um... 
In devastating circumstances like these, there tends to be a pecking order to the rebuilding. And in the church meeting, the library staff received no concrete answers to questions about what the plan was for the library moving forward. Everything that we revolved our daily life around was gone because we had no books. We had no students. We didn't even have computers to work off of. Yes, that's true. We didn't even have computers. So it was just like, okay, so what do we do now? I guess that was the main question that we were asked. Okay, so what do we do now? And then they would say, okay, well, because we had to wait because there were so many other others that were yes. saying, what do we do now? The staff and administration on our campus as a whole, we all came together. So you're talking about campus-wide, not just library. Um, campus-wide, everyone in their own departments and divisions were doing the exact same thing that we were for, for the, the better of our students. That was what drove us, was that we knew that we had to provide for our students who in turn were going through the exact same things we were personally, homes right. being destroyed. You know, all of a sudden now they may have lost jobs. There was one directive, however, that the team knew they could latch on to immediately, the campus-wide effort to move classes online. Faculty needed to be trained, services put into place, guides created, and IDs assigned. But the team needed to regroup in person and develop a game plan for next steps. As campus administration plans took shape, the library needed to formulate a more organized approach to the new services and transitional workflows. Mika volunteered her home for a team meeting, yet another step that brought them together. I imagine that during this period, as staff were scattered about, scrambling for workspace to get services back up and running, and coping with the stress pervading both personal and work life, having a casual gathering at home away from the chaos on campus was a welcome opportunity to decompress and bond. Plus, Mika had the Harvey Spice Rack. Earlier in the episode, we mentioned that Mika, responding to a Facebook post, picked up a litter of four-week-old kittens that were left behind in a planter. Um, I volunteered my home, and I think part of the reason was that um, there there were all sorts of different departments that were scheduling meetings and and all the locations that we could have used were occupied. Um, so I had suggested my house because uh, my neighborhood was off of 59, just north of uh, Lone Star. And um, I didn't, you know, I'm a single person and I figured... <laughs> And she had I, cats. Uh, yeah, and I had cats and dogs and comfort furries, and um, and so it it just seems. And I had just bought the house too, maybe a year before, so it was still kind of new. And why not have everybody over? Anne couldn't make it, so she conferenced in. Jennifer brought breakfast tacos, and while sitting on furniture draped with sheets to repel kitten claws, the library staff. <laughs> a unit with purpose once again, began to formulate a plan. And the rest of us were just sitting around my living room, um, kind of developing a game plan for where would, where would, where we would all be stationed. Um, and so that was kind of the majority of the meeting was what we were going to do, how we were going to, um, what were, what were the priorities that we had to tackle right away? And so 
getting hiding the lib guide, what was our core electronic books list that we could share with um, our community. Um, Jennifer had to cancel. I'm, I'm pulling up my notes, by the way. Um, <laughs> Jennifer had to cancel all the serials. Um, besides, the, we had two faculty requests, and they also had online access. So we didn't cancel um, those two. We talked about um, other maybe online versions of things we wanted to look at. Um, oh, ID machine was one of them. Where, we, where were we going to place the ID machine um, and make sure that students and faculty still had IDs? Um, what was going to be the process for reserves and where they were going to be located and all that sort of game planning for that. Um, we were just kind of trying to get ourselves set up for moving forward. And as they tucked into their tacos and snuggled the kittens, they laid the groundwork for what ultimately became a two-year odyssey. Oh, and by the way, the kittens have names. They're Lavender, Rosemary, Dill, and Sage. Like I said, the Harvey Spice Rack. In the meantime, though, the library was only just starting to dry out after being submerged in a blackwater gumbo. Next time on Patron Driven, Episode 3, Fluid. We could go on campus, but a lot of the buildings were uh, fenced off. Yeah. So we saw these huge air ducts coming in and out of the buildings, and uh, things were blowing into the buildings, and we didn't see a lot of people in and out of the thing. So we're kind of sitting there going, time is ticking by, but we're not seeing anything happen. Patron Driven is brought to you by Choice, a publishing unit of the Association of College and Research Libraries, a division of the American Library Association. Huge thanks to Allison Huffy, Anne McGittigan, Jennifer Martinez, and Mika Mitchell, without whom we would not have known about or been able to produce this series. And a shout out to the Lone Star College system and the Kingwood campus in particular. Bill Mickey wrote this episode. Sabrina Kofer provided invaluable developmental edits and audio engineering assistance and I produced and engineered the episode. <laughs>